Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys. I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. Hey Lainey. Hey Ashley. Do you know which property has survived two fires, is over 200 years old, and probably the most iconic in the United States? Um, no, you know I'm bad at this. <laughs> Today we are going to the White House. Oh. At 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. The White House. Okay. The White House. So I'm going to give you a little backstory. So just. Just to set your expectations for this episode, this is less spooky history, more history history, U.S. history, um, and just things that have gone down in the White House. Um, Happy birthday, Mr. President. Do you know who sang that? Paris Hilton or oh, the... Oh, uh, get out of here. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yes, Marilyn Both of them Monroe. sang it. Paris Hilton was Marilyn way creepier. Yes. Mr. President. Ugh. Okay. You know you sing it to Casey every night. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's start by talking about how they came to choose the location of the nation's capital. This is where I'm going to give you a little backstory that leads to D.C. So it didn't start in Washington, D.C. Between 1760 and the 1770s, New York City was the center of anti-British activity. Remember, we were basically a colony for... Great Britain. It was an important location for the 13 colonies, New York City, or New York. Uh, the British tried to seize control of the area during the Revolutionary War. British did successfully seize control of New York and kept it as a military base until 1783. At the end of the war between 1785 and 1790, New York City actually became the temporary capital for the newly formed country, the United States of America. So Federal Hall was where George Washington was inaugurated and the first Assembly of Congress and the Supreme Court took place. But New York was not to remain the capital. What the, made them change it? I'm guessing that they actually never planned for it to stay there. Okay. So the U.S. started very disorganized as it was an infant country. Once the New World and the Old World broke ties, there was a lot to do to create a strong nation. And of course, we know that New York still today remains an important Port. I'm not saying like port, the important port. Important of port. I felt like it sounded like I was speaking with an accent when I read it out loud. Um, an important port for importing and exporting, but also just a major city in the United States. A lot of the economy is based in New York City. It's still very important. I'm going to talk a little bit why I don't think that the plan was for New York to remain, and a lot of it goes back to slavery. Okay. So then Philadelphia became the capital for the next 10 years. This is significant because this is where the U.S. Constitution was written. As many of you may or may not know, the U.S. Constitution was not our first formal federal document. It was the Articles of Confederation. Created us a very, it was our first, first real government document, uh, but it was also very weak. So the U.S. Constitution was written in Philadelphia. Philadelphia also remains very important. Because well, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Always. As the Constitution was written, Article 1, Section 8 gave Congress the power to create a federal district to become, quote, actually, quote, become the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state 
in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings, end quote. You said a secret government agency? What? Become a, a seat of the government? Oh, I was like, that's so weird. They put that in a document that we all know about. <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> That's so um, funny. So in 1790, Congress passed the Residence Act, establishing an official location for the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C. This is along the, Potom- the oh my gosh, Potomac River. Important port. Important port. Uh, this wasn't easily decided. The decision came from the North and the Sound. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have a hard time talking today. The North and the South already beginning to bicker about slavery. Neither wanted the other to have too much influence over political matters. But it's not a surprise that they chose the area that they did because it's still allowed for slavery and our first president was, in fact, a slave owner. Uh, Philadelphians wanted the capital to stay in Philly, but the founding fathers were already planning on being close to Virginia since that was their native state. So it puts them far enough north where they're not in the north but they're not in the South either. It kind of puts them in the middle and they are going to create this as a district. So this is where a federal district was carved out, making the capital a district, not a state where our nation's capital is housed today in Washington, D.C. The purpose of a federal district rather than a state really came from the idea that Americans didn't want the federal government to be influenced by any particular state because just because it resided there. So, in fact, it wasn't even until 1851 that residents of Washington, D.C. could even vote for president in a presidential election. So they do have a mayor, but they do not operate as a state, and the district itself has limited power. So once the act was passed, the building of the White House began. $200,000 $200,000 was allocated to build the president's mansion. It wasn't yet known as the White House. Three commissioners for D.C. were appointed. Thomas Johnson, David Stewart, and Daniel Carroll. French engineer Pierre Peter Charles Lefant surveyed the land and mapped out the area. Washington and Lefant chose the site for the what would be the White House, um, but it went under many other names before it was the White House. It was the President's Mansion, the President's Palace, the President's House. The President's Palace. Yeah. Sounds so bougie. And in July 1972, James Hoban's design for the White House was selected. He was an Irish-born architect. Well, and that was a big win for him. I know. In fact, he designed the White House after the Leinster House in Dublin, which is where their parliament is housed. So if you look at the Leinster House... It has a very similar style, the neoclassical Georgian-style architecture. So if you look at that building, you can see how Hoban was heavily influenced by that structure. So like I said, he's an Irish immigrant. Where he's bringing his Irish, Irish heritage and influence over here, he came over after the American Revolution and initially settled in Philadelphia. So after this selection, they began building both the White House and the Capitol Building. Laborers for the building were both slaves and paid workers. This is obviously controversial because it's not a secret that the White House was in part built by slaves. Michelle Obama spoke about this before, that it's an odd feeling to wake up in a home that you know took place in one of our darkest parts of our history. And being black and waking up in a home you know was built by slaves has to be just just an odd feeling. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. It's like a yucky feeling. Yes. And I mean, I'm glad we've 
we've come far from that. Absolutely. But it, it's nevertheless, it's, it's always going to remain a part of our history. So in discussing this story, we made sure not to leave out that slaves did take part in building the White House and Washington himself also owned slaves. We do know that slaves helped to cut and move stone near uh, from the nearby quarry. Slaves, which of course are unpaid labor, so they made no money. The paid workers were given approximately 31 cents a day. Those were primarily for the unskilled workers. Somebody who was considered a skilled craftsman was about $1.34 a day. All the commissioners, Thomas Johnson, David Stewart, Daniel Carroll, all slave owners. So again, it really wasn't a surprise that slaves took in part in building this. So what is interesting is that sometimes slave owners were actually paid for having their slaves come labor over the project. I did read that one article said that the owners of the slaves would get paid about $60 a year per slave. But of course, the slaves themselves, they're never going to see any of that money. And laborers, both paid and unpaid, were shuffled both between building the White House and the Capitol building because both of those projects were taking place simultaneously. By 1800, the White House was complete. So it took about eight years to build. And true to government form, they went massively over budget. Uh, (laughs) They approved $200,000 and ended up spending about $400,000. Yeah, that's that's no surprise there. So, yes. And as yesterday, we hit the debt ceiling again. And so I'm like, you know what? It started from the get-go. As you guys, like, they yes. literally doubled the budget. We started America broke. Yep. Um, unfortunately, George Washington would never live to see the final product. And I don't think he was expected to because he was heavily involved in the building of it. I don't think he ever thought he was going to live in it. But... He unfortunately didn't even live to see its final phase, its final stage. He passed away in 1799, and it was completed in 1800. James Adams, our second president, was the first to move in. So George Washington goes down as the only U.S. president to never live in the White House. I don't think I knew that. Well, you're going to learn a lot of things today. Ooh. So now let's talk about things that did happen in the White House. So my man TJ, Thomas Jefferson, came into office March 1801. One of his first acts of presidents was to add water closets, which are essentially early toilets to the home. Uh, During his reign, he had a wilderness museum in the entrance hall that was mountain animals and also Native American artifacts. Oh, that's pretty cool. During the War of 1812, which started in, you guessed it, 1812, over British (laughs) violations of U.S. maritime rights, August 12, 1814, the British set fire to the House and Senate wings of the Capitol. Then they went over to the President's House or President's Mansion, stole some souvenirs, and then set it on fire, set the house on fire. Wow. It did burn almost all of the interior, but the exterior walls were still standing. So once the peace treaty was signed in 1814, reconstruction of the White House began and was completed again in 1817, and this was completed by the initial architect, James Hoban. Now, it wasn't known at the time, but because of this quick rebuild, his work won't, it does and doesn't properly stand the test of time. Truman is going to have to renovate the White House because there's going to be some major structural issues from Hoban's rebuild. Now, of course, it's going to last over 100 years, but with all the things that different presidents do to the house, it puts immense strain on the structure of the property. So Hoban also returned back to the White House to complete the north and south porticos. The south portico is the oval porch with the columns that's very iconic to the White House. 
So since 1830, the exterior has mostly remained the same. The interior has undergone many changes throughout the presidencies, though. I feel like the president shouldn't be allowed to make changes in the White House. Like, you're just living there temporarily. I know you're living there for, you know, maybe eight years, but, I mean, it's history. You're the you're you right. shouldn't change it. <laughs> I and don't know. No, I agree. And actually, Jackie Kennedy feels the same way. And since Jackie Kennedy was there, it is now considered a museum. So, Oh, cool. Okay. So 1825, not a renovation, but John Quincy Adams, son of John Adams, and our sixth president had a pet alligator that lived in the bathroom at the White House. Lived in the bathroom? Yep. <laughs> the water closet? Yeah. Yeah, basically the water closet. Uh, 1829, Andrew Jackson took residency at the White House. He was more of a war hero um, from the War of 1812 and well-known for the Battle of New Orleans, which we talked about in our first episode. So more of a war hero than a real politician. He saw himself as a man of the people, and he had a more humble upbringing, but was kind of a wild guy. He killed a man once for an unjustified slur about his wife, Rachel Jackson. What? He killed him? Yeah. Because he called her a slut or something? I said unjustified slur. I don't know how you just made up slut. (laughs) Yes, that's all it said was, quote, unjustified slur. So I don't know what he said, but it just kind of speaks to his character. Yeah, that's an aggressive move. Yeah, but he's a man of the people. So what does the man of the people do on inauguration day? He invites the people to his house. And the people, they showed up. Up to 30,000 people followed the president to his rager at the White House. Again, not the White House at the time. His the rager. president's house. Yeah, he had a rager. <laughs> they followed him after his speech where basically he invited him, come on over. So he had an open house type party. Uh, one article of the time said, quote, ladies fainted, men were seen with bloody noses, and <gasps> such a scene of confusion took place as is impossible to describe, end quote. Oh my gosh. So this was a spur of the moment invite for Jackson. His so, so like the mm-hmm. staff didn't even expect it. No, that really sucks. Yeah, if you work there. He what? I mean, and that's what he thought of himself as a man of the people. Well, the people aren't going to hurt me. They love me. I'm bringing them back to my house, and the staff will just be prepared. Um, but they that's weren't. A dumb idea. So yeah, his staff himself. No one prepared for this, and this was a real rager without police officers or secret service to provide any kind of aid or protection to the president or the staff. Um, It was described as a mob that showed up. People stood on the furniture in muddy shoes. They threw dishes in crystal. The White House staff said that they they couldn't get the smell of cheese out of the carpet for months, that people were literally grinding the food into the carpet. Ew, that's so gross. People are rude, so you don't invite a bunch of strangers to your house. I like, we've seen crazy riots, you know, having... On TV. On TV. I can't imagine... 30,000 people at the White House Mm -hmm. stomping cheese in the carpets. Yeah, it's disgusting. So to get people out of the house, staff members put wash tubs on the lawn full of juice and whiskey to help get them out of the house. Uh, And nothing gets anyone out of the house like booze. It's like they're animals. It's feeding time. Yeah, it's feeding time. Come on, dinner bell. Um, He wasn't the last president to have an open house inauguration party, but his was more wild. And after some assassination attempts on other presidents, they began doing parades rather than having a house party. 
Sounds like a good plan, guys. Yes. So 1835, they added modern plumbing and central heat, which I'm sure they were very grateful to have in Washington, D.C., because it gets pretty nippy there. To date, there have been two presidents that have died on the actual property. Um, I'm not talking about assassinations or anything like that that happened off the property, because this isn't really just president facts. This is really focusing on the White House and things that happened in the White House. So, two presidents have died on the actual property. March 1841, William Henry Harrison, our shortest living president. Shortest president. Actually, he was not the shortest. um, But no, he only survived a month in office. Oh, wow. Did he die of shortness? No, no, I just said he (laughs) wasn't that short. I don't think he was that short. I've never read anything about his height, but... um, He gave an 8,445-word inaugural speech in the cold, wet winter in D.C. Holy shit. Without proper clothing and against the advice of those around him. This speech took two hours in this weather. Now, this is what's weird, is because I have always been told that he died of pneumonia. But this was his inaugural address. He dies a month later. So this has recently been heavily debated if his actual cause of death was pneumonia or not, because for years, that's what we have, I assume, all been told, because I was told that in the classroom, not, like, privately. So there has been updates and evidence, though, that he actually didn't become ill until three weeks after his inaugural address, which would indicate that it probably wasn't pneumonia and had nothing to do with his speech. He had no lung issues until five days after he became ill, and his primary issues, according to History.com, were stomach issues, abdominal discomfort, and constipation. So from a 2014 study, they actually believe he died from contaminated water rather than pneumonia from exposure during his inaugural address. Interesting. So I'm guessing a lot of you guys probably heard the same story I did, which was believed to be true, um, but it's only since 2014, have and I've been out of school since 2014, that they discovered that it was likely contaminated water. Yeah, it's in our textbooks. I think that's what everyone, at least in the U.S., have been told. But that's crazy his speech was that long. Like, no one wants to listen to that. Yeah. And, like, how full of yourself are you to talk that long? I think the man had a lot of big plans. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It reminds me of my old boss who... Uh, gave a two and a half hour speech at our Christmas party, just talking about himself and his life and how successful he's become. <laughs> and uh, I brought our parents there and they fell asleep. Did they really? <laughs> yes. That's so funny. Yes. It was It was horrible. I was so embarrassed because I had clients there too. And everyone was like, are we going to eat soon? So according to the same article, before 1850, the sewage of Washington, D.C. was dumped in a marsh only seven blocks upstream of the White House water supply. So researchers have surmised that bacteria seeped into the drinking water, causing gastroenteritis. Oh, gross. then leads us to the next White House House president's death. Sorry, guys. I've been battling this cold for a while, so it's impairing my speech. Sounds like you need to go to the Center for Kids Who Don't Read Good. What? (laughs) Zoolander Center. I thought that was Zoolander, but I was like, (laughs) what are you talking about? (sighs) That's funny. You're hilarious. I know, I know. So the next White House president's death is Zachary Taylor. He had been in office for 16 months by 1850. On the 4th of July, the president uh, was noshing on a bowl of cherries and a glass of milk. He ended up with gastroenteritis issue, which gave him severe cramping and nausea. 
then led to dehydration, and then he died July 9th, 1850. What are the cherries and milk? So people always said he died from after, I'm sorry, people always said, and I learned this also in school, that he died after eating a bowl of milk, a bowl of milk, a bowl of cherries and milk. And then the combination led to the cramping, the nausea, the the dehydration, and he died. It probably goes back again to contaminated water. Um, It could be water that he washed the cherries with, or maybe he had a glass of water shortly after that little snackage, and, you know, who knows. Whatever it it was, it was a similar death to the previous president. Maybe it was like a... William Henry Harrison, sorry. (laughs) Huh? I'm saying it was a similar death to William Henry Harrison. Oh, I'm thinking in my head, Witches of Eastwick, when they eat the cherries, (laughs) and Jack Nicholson starts going insane. Yeah, that movie is so weird. It's so weird, but I love it. I do too. It's so it's, great. It's a good movie, but I'm like, I'm like, what do I like about it? It's weird. That, they all sleep with him. He's the devil. They each have one of his children. It's weird. It's super weird. But um, fun fact: Ashley actually got in trouble when we were kids because she showed that movie to me, and then I went to my mom and asked what a horny devil was. <laughs> So, thank you, Ashley, for educating me in the the wee years of, like, five. Okay, Lainey is only three years younger than me, so it's not like I was, you know. Yeah, I don't think you were allowed to watch it either, but, you know. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. It was a VHS that we had, though. I remember. It was, like, a recorded VHS. Yes. So I was like, oh, Witches of Eastwick. I liked Hocus Pocus. I liked things about witches. I found them interesting. (laughs) So I put that on. I was like, this is a weird movie. I got to show it to Lainey. (laughs) So. Uh, Zachary Taylor was the latest and second president to have died in the president's palace. Now, there have been three first ladies that have also died in the White House. That is, one is Letitia Tyler, wife of John Tyler, the 10th president. Before his presidency, she had suffered a major stroke. She passed away 1842, having only made one public appearance while her husband was in office. Oh, wow. Um, Benjamin, and so she she succumbed to the the stroke, the issues that follow having a major stroke. Yeah. Benjamin Harrison's wife, Carolyn Harris, died in the White House in 1892. She was actually an extremely active first lady. She contracted tuberculosis in 1891, spent a lot of time trying to find cures, but ultimately succumbed to that illness in 1892. The third first lady to pass was Ellen Wilson, Woodrow Wilson's first wife which we hear all the time about Edith, well, Edith, Edith Wilson um, because she was the one that actually was the secret acting president while he was ill and was very famous for that. Um, so you don't hear a whole lot about Ellen Wilson, but she was actually his first wife, and she was the first lady from 1913 to 1914. She is well remembered for her efforts in improving housing conditions for African Americans in Washington, D.C., Oh, it sounds like he had good taste in women, but um, what? I think he did. How how soon after his first wife's death did he get remarried? Well, it wasn't that long after because he was still president. Yeah, when that's he what I'm thinking. The second time, but she passed away of Bright's disease in 1914, which it's no longer called Bright's disease, but it's a kidney disease. One of her last words was to her phys- physician, which she told him to um, make sure that Woodrow, her husband, Woodrow Wilson, was to remarry. She wanted him to be taken care of. Aw, that's sweet. 
So could you you imagine dating a president? No. Like I can't even imagine us having a a bachelor president, but. You know, we did have one. Which one is that? Buchanan. Oh. He was president shortly before the Civil War, and he's people believe he's part of the causes of the Civil War because of him not taking any action on anything, and people actually think he was gay. There's actually oh. a lot of evidence to show that he was gay. Okay, I was about to say, <laughs> well, that's why he's single, because he screwed up the war, but... Uh, yeah, no. no, he was never, he was our only bachelor president, and there were actually letters found, and a lot of them burned by his nieces between him and his supposed male lover. That makes me so sad. All the... Yeah, you couldn't be gay at the time. I know. There's such a long period of time you can't be gay, and it's just... What a sad life. You can't be with the people you want to be with. Yeah, to have to keep it in secret. (sighs) So as the years went on in the White House, the home got a lot of wear and tear, as all buildings do. One of the first major requests for renovations came under Benjamin Harrison around 1890. And yes, he is related to William Henry Harrison. He is the grandson. Uh, He requested the second floor of the property, the space utilized for the first family as their home, to be altered. It became overcrowded with staff and the first lady, first lady, the first family, and the Harrison family asked Congress to fund a White House expansion. They were denied, but... Their plan was to add an east and west wing to the White House, which does exist today. So that was their idea. It just didn't take effect under uh, his presidency. So around 1902, Teddy Roosevelt comes into office. He puts in a similar request to have the second floor of the White House expanded. This is the private quarters for the president. Teddy Roosevelt had six children, so... Keeping his family separate from his workspace proved to be very challenging. And this is where the West Wing of the White House is going to be established and approved by Congress. But they originally called it the President's Mansion or President's Palace, so it couldn't have been that small. Yeah, no, it was a it was a big mansion, but it's it's also a working space with a lot of staff members. Yeah. And, and so it's not just the president's house. And we know that today. I, know. I mean, right now it's established as a museum. So you can, people can visit there. There's thousands of people that walk in and out of there every single day. There are a lot of staff that work there. So two floors are designated to the president. And we're going to, I mean, we're, we're here talking about haunted real estate. We're going to be talking about the expansions and changes of the White House. But it was just that middle part of the building that you see. Under Teddy Roosevelt going into the 1900s is where they added the two side buildings, the East Wing and the West Wing. The West Wing being the office part where the president does most of his work. So I'll talk about what those sort of function as. The West Wing, that term doesn't actually get established until the 1960s. Um, And it was Nathan Wyeth was the architect to create the first Oval Office. This was designated as an office for the president and his staff. And the East Wing became more of a space for social events and parties of the White House. Um, In this renovation, they also expanded the second floor for the family. The Roosevelts in the early 1900s also installed an elevator and electricity. This replaced all the lighting in the home from gaslight to electric lights. That has to be a cool thing to witness. Yeah. I wish I could just walk the halls to see how every president like made their mark on the White House. Yeah. I just want to see all the changes over time. Yeah, that would be really cool to see. Mm -hmm. So during his presidency, he also had a large staircase removed to expand the state dining room. Today, it can theoretically hold 140 people for a dinner party. 
So not 3,000 people, Rager? 30,000? No. Yeah, that's that's what I said in my head, okay? Forgot a zero. Yes, just forgot a zero. No big deal. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was also the one to officially call it the White House. So it stopped being called the President's House, President's Mansion, President's Palace. It's now the White House. And a fun fact about Teddy that many of you might not know is that he was actually a very sickly child. Due to his repeated illnesses, he started to push himself to become more athletic. He did not like being a sick kid. He became extremely athletic and tough as nails into adulthood. Once he became president, he knew that he had somewhat of an image to maintain. Um, He was a boxer. Well, you can't just like go out and box anymore as president uh, or he was a boxer and a wrestler. He actually started a fight club in the White House. That is so cool. Yeah, he had a fight club in the White House basement. So rather than taking his fights out to the streets where he'd be seen, people (laughs) came to his house into the basement where he fought some famous uh, wrestlers and boxers of the time. He would also fight anybody that just wanted to take him on, which included his wife and his sister-in-law. What? Yeah. Like in an abusive way or they're just like, we'll just play? No, just in a boxing. You want to wrestle, honey? Come over here, Teddy. (laughs) Bring those big guns over here. (laughs) Um. What few people knew, though, is that, like like I said, he took on some famous wrestlers and boxers of the time. He was, and they, they would probably fight him dirty, just like they would in the regular boxing ring. Um, so he was punched in the eye by Captain Daniel T. Meade, which burst his blood vessel in his left eye and detached his retina. Ooh. He forever became blind in his left eye. So almost no, like the public did not know about this until like 12 years later in his autobiography. Uh, but he did stop boxing after this. What movie am I thinking in my head where the guy, he's an adult man, but he's super close to his mom. And he's like, Dorinda's detached. Oh, what is uh, that? Uh, Heartbreakers. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my gosh. The retina is it. When she, she coughs up the olive pit or whatever. Yes, it's in the eye. It's, that's so funny. That's that's awesome. Poor, poor Teddy, though. So now under Teddy Roosevelt, the president's office was put in the West Wing, but it was a rectangular office. It wasn't the actual Oval Office. It was his predecessor, William Howard Taft, that came into office. He enlarged it, and he created the actual Oval Office for the first time. This was inspired by George Washington, who wanted to have round walls in his own home. And in the White House, there were three other oval rooms. They weren't oval offices, though. So under Taft, the Oval Office is created. During World War I, which was between 1914 and 1919, this is when Woodrow Wilson was in office. Remember, we talked about his wife passing away before he married Edith Wilson. He actually, because of the war effort, he had the lawn maintained by sheep in order to save on tax dollars in 1918. They auctioned off the wool of these sheep and donated the money to the Red Cross. The lawnmower was invented by this time, but for the war effort, he outsourced the job to sheep. Only two years in, the sheep population grew immensely, and the White House lawn went pretty barren from the sheep eating all of it, basically. (laughs) They were eating everything from... The grass to the bushes to even parts of the trees. So by 1920, only two years, the lawn again went back to humans operating lawn mowers. But what a time that must have been just seeing sheep mowing the lawn. Uh, yeah, that's it's kind of cute. Our 29th president, Warren G. Harding, was a bit of a party animal. He was president during Prohibition, and he was a drinker and a gambler. All the things that Prohibition was supposed to be 
doing away with. Uh, he even gambled away some of the White House china. Oh my gosh. And some of that, I believe, even dated back to George Washington. Like, it was old china. So thanks for that. Yeah, that's a dick move. Yeah. Uh, his biggest scandal, though, was his sexcapades in the White House. Ooh, I love a sexcapade. Se- uh, Sykes or service. I can't, I, just, I can't anymore. Secret service would guard a closet door while he was in there with his mistress. His wife knew something was up, so she would go to the closet where Secret Service refused her entry. She'd stomp off. Secret Service would alert the president um, that it was time to zip up and get the mistress out the door to a car that was already waiting for her. What? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This guy. Yeah, he um, he was something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate a president who is, I guess, like a, a normal human and likes to party and have fun, but he's just a dick. He uh, he liked a many a lady, and he did not like keeping it in his pants. Yeah. Um, so this mistress um, did go on to have a child he would never meet. Um, it was their love child. He also had affairs with his wife's best friend. He would write <gasps> her love letters, sometimes 40 to 50 pages long. Wow. Yes. That's intense. Um, his contribution to the White House, though, is... Um, not unimportant. He created the uniform division at the White House. It is they are in charge of protecting the entire White House. They are now joined with Secret Service. And today there's approximately 1300 of those employees that work in the White House. Oh, wow. So he did. He did make a contribution to the White House other than just sleeping with Screwing girls in with the closet. anyone with a yeah. vagina. <laughs> Yes. Um, 1927, another major renovation took place under Calvin Coolidge. He took the attic and transformed it to the third floor. The third floor contains a billiards room, workout space. Um, The Clintons transformed one of those spaces to be a music room for Bill's sax playing. And that was sax playing, not sex playing. (laughs) Let me just clarify because we know he had some scandals going on too. There was some sex play in there. Yeah. There's also a sunroom or solarium there. So today, that is now the sixth floor, not the third floor, because they do go on to add multiple basement levels of the home. This area, the third or sixth floor, depending on how you're looking at it, uh, it looks like the third floor. Because if you look at the White House, there really can't be more than three floors by the looks of it. But there are basements, so that's that's where multiple floors come in. So it's the third floor. If you're not calling the basement, it's like... Those are sub-level. Yeah. You know, it's confusing. I love a basement. We don't have basements in Texas. We sure don't. And I really just, I love them. They're so cool. Yeah. Um, So this area is meant for the second family. For I said the second family. The first family to relax in their living quarters. So they have the second floor and the third floor. The second floor is their living quarters where they sleep and then the third floor is like their relaxing area so they we have all two, need a, a two two special areas one specifically for relaxing well it's still a big space but at the same time the president does live and work there so if you're just looking at the mansion not like the east and west wings if you're just looking at the mansion part of the house it is those top two floors. Well, you live and work in your home, and I guess your relaxing room would be just the bathtub. Or the living room, too. But I also don't just have staff of thousands that are coming in and out of my house. True. And thousands of visitors. True. And press. Oh, you're not going to say true? False. I thought you were saying true to each thing I was saying. No, I'm going to be Dwight Schrute now. Yeah. False. <laughs> Bears. Beats. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> 
Now, what isn't known yet is that this renovation of renovating the attic into the third floor is going to seriously weaken the building structure and will put future presidents at risks of uh, the building collapsing. So, again, this isn't found out for nearly 30 years after the Coolidge family made this renovation. Uh, They're also well-known, the Coolidge family, for the strange pets that they kept at the White House. They kept bear cubs, lion cubs. Oh, they're so cute. A bobcat, a wallaby, and a pygmy hippopotamus. So the only thing they were missing was a staple uh, bathroom alligator? Yep. So there have been some really weird pets at the White House. A little bear cub, though, would be so cute. You know what the thing is, though, that I don't like, and this was also in Tiger King, is that you keep them as cubs. What do you do with them as adults? Like, that's where a lot of them end up getting euthanized. Oh, you're not cute anymore, so I'm going to put you down. Now you're dangerous. Yeah, no, that is really sad. I'm not promoting anyone to go adopt a, a wild animal that is a bear or a tiger that could kill you, but... And then Not, they're just, just stuck, in confine- as- stuck in confinement, and then when they get released, sometimes other animals eat them, because it's just sad. Yeah. But I still want to see a little bear cub. So 1929, under Herbert Hoover, there was a fire that broke out on Christmas Eve. This severely damaged the West Wing, either um, burning it beyond repair or warping the wood beyond proper use. So Congress had to pass a special appropriation bill in order to rebuild the West Wing, This was quickly renovated and completed in 1930. Um, So 1934, FDR, Theodore Roosevelt's very distant nephew, called on architect Eric Googler to expand and move the Oval Office office to its current location at the southeast corner of the property near the Rose Garden. In addition to this, they added a second story to the existing office space and also added a basement for the staff. Also due to FDR's handicap, if you remember, he was paralyzed from the waist down. He was the president to make the home wheelchair accessible. Oh, that's nice. His more fun addition to the White House was transforming a cloakroom, which... What? By the way, that's kind of cool. Is that what it sounds like? Yeah, you kept your cloaks there. Oh my gosh, there's wizards in the White House. Yeah, it's like a coat room. The cloakroom into a 42-seat movie theater. And it's like, how big was that cloakroom that you could put 42 <laughs> seats for humans in there? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of cloaks. I guess yeah. one for every day of, of the year. I mean, multiple staff members, I'm sure, were putting their cloaks and jackets and all sorts of stuff in there. Um, so that theater has been used by all the presidents. Ronald Reagan watched E.T. in that theater with Steven Spielberg and Neil Armstrong. Oh, that's a cool fact. So, and of course, most of us know that FDR also had affairs, um, but he, I don't know about them being done in the White House, which is why I'm not spending time talking about it. He did die in the arms of his mistress in a hotel, though, not the White House. Okay. Him and his wife had a very interesting marriage. Um, I think it was a very political marriage. I can't, okay, I'm not in the inner workings, you know, of obviously of their relationship, so I can't speak on it from what I understand, though. A lot of people think Eleanor Roosevelt was actually a lesbian. And like I said, their marriage was more political. She was also the niece of Teddy Roosevelt. So they were distantly related to each other. Oh, cool. Um, FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. So maybe that was a political marriage. They had a good partnership in that way, but it might not have been a marriage out of love, which might be where he went to the arms of another woman. I'm not condoning it. It's just from my understanding of it, I could be totally off base here. So that is an easier pill to swallow of, you know, it's it's more of an arrangement that they had 
instead of him cheating on his wife all the time. Right. And if it's a really good partnership that they both agree upon, then that is between them two. Yeah. No judgment there. Have an open marriage. Do whatever you want. Yes. There have been letters that were found between her and another journalist woman where she clearly has got feelings for this journalist. Interesting. When Harry Truman took office in 1945, after FDR passed away, he took notice that there were cracks and creeks coming from the property. Now, what's interesting is I found this in one article, but I didn't find it in other articles, so I didn't know how true it was. So I'm going to say it, but again, I don't know how true it is. Um, It said that he was getting out of the bathtub and a chandelier came down, nearly impaling his wife. Oh, my. Again, did that happen? I don't know. But we do know that he was the one that noticed some things were off about the White House, like weird cracks and stuff in the plaster. So he had engineers come and survey it. They confirmed his belief that the home was very much not structurally sound. This was from Hoban's rebuild from the fire of 1812, well, 1814, plus the the major renovations that went on top of Hoban's work, which... They didn't know all the new technology that was going to come out in the time. So yeah. indoor plumbing had been put in. Gas lighting was replaced with electrical lighting. Heating and air ducts were all put in. Room additions were made. The attic was transformed into a usable space where they put in, you know, more walls. A yeah. billiard room. Pool tables are not light. So a lot of things that compromise the structural integrity of the property. And this wasn't just a little issue. Literally, they were like, yeah, this could all come collapsing in. So today, the sandstone walls are original, but they did have to remove and rebuild the entire interior framing with steel steel structural beams and add a completely new foundation. Um, So with that renovation, they did go ahead and add two sublevel basements under the North Portico. Under the North Portico today are the carpenter shop, engineer shop, flower shop, chocolate shop, cold storage, paint shop, grounds office, housekeeping office, laundry, and the bowling alley. That's so cool. I want a flower shop. In your house? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Uh, Okay. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) Like, I would like to have a really beautiful outdoor garden that was being tended to. So since the property had to undergo so much renovation, the Trumans were not living in the property while that happened. They moved across the street, still on Pennsylvania Avenue, where they stayed for three years. And one night, um, they were given a gold key and told they could go back to the property where the Trumans spent the rest of their presidency. Well, that's cool. I bet that was an exciting day for them. Yeah, I said that weird. Where the Trumans were able to spend the rest of his presidency, I think is what I meant to say. He was also, he put a bowling alley in the home. That one does get changed out over time. Um, Funnily enough, though, he left the White House quoting that the White House was a great white jail. Oh. And he is not the only one to make a quote about the White House of it just being a a sad place to be. I mean, I could totally see that. They're under such high security. I mean, you don't have the freedom to just, you know... No, it's, take a drive if you want to. It's a high stress job. And so yeah. I'm not saying the White House is a sad place to be. I'm saying for the president, probably not the happiest place to be. Yeah. And May 1861, the White House removed the Truman Bowling Alley and created the Situation Room. Um, that's a famous space today. I love that name. Yeah. So this was under JFK and the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. Um around Cuban Missile Crisis, Cold War. Uh, While every president used this space differently, its primary purpose is for the National Security Council to keep information secure. 
Some presidents spend much more time there than others do. Uh, LBJ spent more time there than he did the Oval Office. Of course, he was president during the Vietnam War. A lot of stuff going down during the time. Um, Nixon and Ford spent very little time there. And contrary to popular belief, it is in the basement, but not like a mile under the house, like people think. It's actually considered the ground floor, um, not not even in a sub-basement. Um, JFK, though, he was also known as a player. He reportedly slept with at least one woman a day that was not his wife. One a day? Dang. He, he had some STDs, too. Gross. I mean, I'm sure. So the New York Post reported that he would throw nude pool parties for the new lady interns at the White House and had sex with prostitutes in the elevators with Secret Service guarding the door. Dang. Him and uh, Hugh Hefner would have been best buds. Could have been. Could have been. Uh, The White House staff worked hard cleaning up after JFK because he had a thing for blondes and Jackie Kay had dark hair. So they would spend hours trying to find all the blonde hairs they could to remove so they could help keep his secret. What a shitty job. Seriously. I got to get the blonde hairs because the president's boinking all these women all (laughs) over the house. Or I got fired yesterday because I missed a hair. I missed a hair. Jackie found it. So Jackie Kennedy, we know she was a lady of class. She played a major role in redecorating the White House. She created the White House's Historical Association to educate people on the heritage and also had the White House declared a museum so that it would be preserved. So kind of like we were talking about in the beginning, Mm -hmm. this prevents the presidents from going in there and making crazy alterations. It would have to go through um, a bit of an approval process, not just with Congress, to, to make any of those alterations. So it does protect the White House in that way. Because the presidents are tenants of the White House. They don't own the home. They are simply tenants to maintain the home until the next president who is to do the same. Yeah, and it's just, it's a waste of money. I mean, the next president's just going to change it, and then it's just going to keep happening as history has shown. Right. Way to go, Jackie. Light decorative changes, sure. Like, that's your choice, you know, bringing your style there, but um, that should really be about it. Um, So since the Kennedys, the alterations to the White House have been pretty minimal. So each president, though, has made slight changes, but have mostly respected its status as now a museum. Yeah, I feel like you should be able to make a little change just so you feel at home and comfortable during your stay there, but... Yes. So, the president after JFK is Lyndon Johnson, who was famous for his bathroom interviews and meetings. People had to follow him all over the White House, even while he was making in the bathroom. Um, Hey, loves to do that. I'm sure she likes that broadcasted, too. Um... She doesn't do that to everybody, just special people. I love you. <laughs> love our bathroom time. But can you imagine being interviewed by the president and he's like, yeah, come with me. I got to go make poop. And you have I would, to sit I would, there with him. I would just that. have a blank stare the whole time like, oh, what? Uh, do you provide a gas mask? Oh, gosh. Face covering? Yeah. So anyway, he was famous for this. And then once you were employed... You're still following him to the bathroom because if he's not done talking, you're going with him. That's so rude. That is so uncomfortable for like 99.9% of the population. Yeah. He, no one wants to do that. He's a wild character. Very no nonsense. And he had no shame. Under his administration, they did create a children's garden. Um, he also was a... I just forgot the word I was looking for. Uh, he had 
affairs in the White House, supposedly with four out of his six secretaries, oh my gosh, secretaries, and would even inquire before hiring them if she would, quote, shuck her drawers. Shuck her drawers? Yeah. Take them off? Yeah, like shuck them, like take them off. Yeah, remove it. Oh, gross. Yeah. So there were lots of affairs and sex scandals in the White House. Um, Nixon built a one-lane bowling alley in the basement, so they did replace that bowling alley. Oh, my gosh. How many bowling alleys? They removed the Truman Bowling Alley to make it the Situation Room. And then Nixon put one in again, but just a one-lane. Gerald Ford installed the outdoor swimming pool. Ronald Reagan created an exercise room. George W. Bush and Laura Bush expanded the Situation Room and renovated the Family Theater and the Press Briefing Room. And, of course, I cannot go without mentioning the famous scandal of our time, Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky. Um, At least seven days of their affair was under the same roof as Hillary Clinton. Um, We know they had a sexual relationship in multiple parts of the White House. Another fun fact, Tom Hanks went to visit the White House in 2004 and notice that the press, not the White House staff, but the press, did not have a coffee machine. So he bought them one. Um, oh, Tom, you're so sweet. No, I love that guy. Six years later, he found out that coffee machine was getting run down, so he sent them another one. And in 2017, he sent them a $1,700 espresso machine along with a note that said, keep up the good fight for truth, justice, and the American way, especially for the truth part. You just love him. Yes, he's like America's dad. He is. I love him. Thank you, Tom Hanks. Thank you for being you. Um, So all told, up to today, the White House has 132 rooms, 35 bathrooms, 28 fireplaces, 412 doors, 147 windows, 8 staircases, 3 elevators on 6 levels. And 18 bowling alleys. (laughs) No. That's two basements, two public floors, and two floors for the president and the first family. Including the west wing and east wing of the property, it's a total of 67,000 square feet. Wow. How long would it take to walk around to each room? That's a long freaking time. I mean, that's more than a mile of space. Yeah. That's just crazy. Um, The exterior took 570 gallons of paint to cover it. It's on a total of 18 acres, which includes tennis courts, a putting green, and outdoor swimming pool. And, of course, their gardens. Uh, the White House receives on a daily basis, I'm sorry, a weekly basis, 30,000 visitors, 65,000 letters, 3,500 phone calls, and 100,000 emails. 3,500 phone calls seems low for the White House. A week? Yeah. I, just, I guess that depends how many people you have manning it. I feel like a lot of people go to voicemail. And apparently for the longest time, I didn't even write this in my notes, but for the longest time, the White House was actually technologically like way outdated. Do you know the Pentagon got rid of floppy disks in 2017? Oh my gosh. No, I did not know that. Yeah. So the White House was not much better. I mean, they, I think it was like 3,000 pounds of ethernet cables they removed only recently to get Wi-Fi. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's funny. Well, they also probably want to make it difficult for just anyone to contact them. Oh, well, I was going to say what it is, is they, government bureaucracy, there's at least three, whatever, channels that they have to go through to get approved for anything. And so it just makes anything they want to do extremely slow. Yeah. Um, You should try to call the White House and report back how long it took for you to go through. Gosh. It's been 87 years. President Biden, do you know it took me this long to get through? Yeah, I don't think he cares. 
Uh, when a new president comes into office, the staff have 12 hours to move them in and arrange furniture. Another source said five hours, so either way, you don't get to take your time. You're, like, hustled right in. Uh, one big question, of course, is it haunted? Is it? Well, depends on who you ask. It's not commonly thought of as a haunted house because it is a working, living, breathing Home the, structure. The house that never sleeps. Yeah, it, I mean, that's true. Someone's always awake in there. There have been plenty, though, that have claimed to see ghosts. So let's talk about some of these supposed ghosts of the White House. People claim to see Abigail Adams at the east end of the property. This is where she was known to hang laundry since it's the driest and warmest part of the home. People say that she is doing the laundry in that part of the property. So sorry, Abigail, that you're still doing John's delegates in the afterlife. <laughs> yeah, sucks. So another ghostly encounter is with David Burns. David Burns is the one that sold the government the land for the White House and other government buildings and basically sold them most of Washington, D.C. Wow. There have been two completely separate encounters under different presidencies where they claim to hear a disembodied voice saying, I'm Mr. Burns. That would really be creepy. And both times did they, like, what the heck, chased it down thinking somebody was talking to them and it was not coming from any person. I am Mr. Burns. And the second time it happened, there actually was a Mr. Like Burns, B-Y-R-N-E-S. This is B-U-R-N-S. So they thought it was this other Burns talking to them, and it turned out he was not even at the White House at all that day. So it was a weird encounter. That would be scary if, like, hey, you were talking to me, and you find out I wasn't there that You've day. You've been dead for 10 years. Yes. It's my favorite from Joey. Yes. Uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, I actually should have spent more time researching this because, man, is she a fascinating person. Um, But she was one of the most fascinating first ladies. She held multiple seances in the house, which included her husband in two of them. Um, She was always trying to talk to her deceased sons. Um, Actually, I just said sons. Let me double check that. Hang on. Okay. Yes. They lost three of their four children. Mary Todd lost her mother at a very young age and then of course we know that abraham lincoln was assassinated so she was a person who dealt with grief her entire life yeah she's just surrounded by death and sadness yeah so some of these seances they were done in the white house they would include cabinet members and two of them abraham lincoln was also involved and supposedly he uh foresaw his own death i remember hearing that which i don't want to see I don't like I don't want to know. Yeah, it's like the it final would, destination movies. Like I don't want to see. I'd be yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like what's her face in a padded room the rest of my life. Like don't mess me up that way. Yeah. Just don't let me know. I just want to live until it's time for me to depart this earth. Yes. Nobody wants to know their expiration date. Yeah. Harry Truman wrote a letter to his wife about the ghosts in the hallway and quote here in the study. He said the floors would pop which Just made me think, like, was that the faulty structure that you had later noticed? Uh, But then he also said that the curtains would move back and forth on their own. Um, The ghost of Abraham Lincoln is a ghost that has been reported the most times. Grace Coolidge, wife of President Coolidge, was the first to see him. She said he was looking out the window of, was it the Oval Office or the office space, which were two former Civil War battlefields. That would be so cool to see his ghost. Yeah. Or like Marilyn Monroe's ghost or you know somebody cool. Yeah. Bing Crosby. Yes. Yes. Robin yeah. Williams. 
Queen uh, Wilhelmina from the Netherlands came to stay at the White House when she heard a knock at her bedroom door, and she answered and saw Lincoln's ghost with his top hat. She straight up just fainted. (laughs) Normal reaction. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt used Lincoln's room, there is a room called Lincoln's room, um, as her personal study where she would feel his presence late at night. And the most famous ghostly encounter was when Winston Churchill came to visit the White House. Uh, He was also, he stayed in the Lincoln room. He came during World War II. Um, Churchill, known for his baths, right? Why stand when you can sit? He didn't like to shower. He liked to bathe. (laughs) Uh, He emerged naked from the bath with his cigar in his mouth, as he did basically every single night. And he saw the president standing at the fireplace. And he said, good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. Then Lincoln turned to him and smiled and then faded away. And then Churchill said, ask me about my wiener. Wow. No. No. All right. Yep. So that's it for this. I know there's a lot more we could talk about with the White House, but this was 24 pages of notes and I could easily go down a huge rabbit hole with this. So maybe there will be a part two. Maybe we will add to this and do another episode, but... For now, that is it, and we will post some pictures of some of these things in um, on the on the gram. Absolutely, no, I really enjoyed that. That was there's a lot of that information I did not know. Yeah, it's a fun part of our uh, U.S. history. So whether you like U.S. history or history in general or whatever, hopefully you found some of this interesting. These are the things that real really draw me to history when I'm like. Dang, like some of these people were wild and crazy and they're not just politicians, they're people. Well, a fun fact about Ashley is uh, her children have names of presidents in their names and she also had a presidential party for her 35th birthday party. And why did I use that for my 35th birthday? Because when, when you're 35, that is the constitutional age to be president. So I do have a thing for the presidents, just the presidency. I don't like have a weird fetish for presidents or something, but I (laughs) find them so fascinating and I just love learning about all of them and just their personal lives. So anyway, this one kind of spoke to me a little bit. Maybe they'll speak to you. Maybe this is an episode you skip because it's not like a spooky one, but I hope you found it interesting and I hope you keep listening and go follow us at haunted.real.estate and send us an email about your weird real estate story, spooky or otherwise, at hauntedrepod at gmail.com. And we are on Patreon. Uh, I believe we let you know last week. Um, it is patreon.com slash hauntedre. If you want to go take a look and maybe show some support, we'd appreciate it. We would so appreciate it. Thank you, you guys. And uh, see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.